This episode of The Boat Geeks is sponsored by The Boater's Guide, a free app for Pacific Northwest boaters. The Boater's Guide is adventure and information right at your fingertips, right when you need it. Find your happy place with The Boater's Guide, a free download on your phone or tablet in the App Store and Google Play. Hey, Darren. Darren. Well, we did it. We recorded our first Boat Geeks podcast. That was fun. It was absolutely fun. We did, uh, we, our, our guest, our first guest for our first podcast was Jennifer Silva Redmond, uh, author of Honeymoon at Sea, How I Found Myself Living on a Small Boat. And that was a fun podcast. That was a fun book to read yes. also. In fact, when I finally finished it, I looked at Lisa and said, let's go to Mexico. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Right. It, I, I find, uh, a good book like that, um, you know, nonfiction oftentimes motivates you to want to get yeah. out there and adventure, you know, inspiring. It's, yeah, yeah. Very inspiring. And as, as she was, she was, uh, a lot of fun to talk to. Um, of course, again, the, the, the title of the book is honeymoon at sea, how I found myself living on a small boat. It was funny after I, did the intro for the podcast, I thought about it and I realized that that uh, subtitle, How I Found Myself Living on a Small Boat, had kind of a double meaning because in my head, the way I felt like I uh, stated the title during the podcast is like, um, you know, all of a sudden she discovered, hey, I'm I'm living on a small boat as if she didn't know that that was going to, yeah. you know, become her life. Um, but also it you know, it, it could imply that how I found myself, you know, like um, Absolutely. An, an aspect of her personality or her interests that she didn't know existed uh, previous to, you know, diving in the deep end, so to speak, and 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 boating. And so um, a very good, well, title of a book, of course, and uh, a very great guest to uh, have on the podcast. Absolutely. A lot of fun. All right. So here it is. Here's the uh, here's our first Boat Geeks podcast with Jennifer Silva Redmond. Welcome to the premiere episode of the Boat Geeks podcast. Today, our special guest, our first guest ever on the podcast, is Jennifer Silva Redmond, uh, both an editor full-time as her job and a first-time author. Her book is Honeymoon at Sea, How I Found Myself Living on a Small Boat. And uh, although I just purchased this on Amazon, um, I have not read it yet. I'm very much looking forward to reading it. And uh, my co-host, Darren, I know you've uh, already dug a little bit into the book, right? Uh, according to Kindle, I have... Uh, about 32% left. Ooh. That's so, very good. I tried to finish it. <laughs> nice, nice job. So you'll be able to answer uh, or ask some questions directly from what you've read. We have so many questions for you, Jennifer, but real quick, I just want to let everybody know um, they can get Honeymoon at Sea on Amazon like I did. However, uh, it would be more beneficial to Jennifer if you would go to your local bookstore and order it because that brings it to their attention. They see that there's demand for the book. Maybe they order three, maybe they order four and put it on the shelf and more people can pick it up. Um, but once you do order it and purchase it at your local bookstore, please go on to Amazon and uh, drop a review, a positive review for this book and uh, and help her sell more because um, we need more 
true sailors out there and that are documenting their their experience and um, and that are good that are good writers. at writing. Yes, she's an <laughs> oh editor. My gosh. Yes, <laughs> we'll get more a into that. Of fresh air, um, definitely. But is that correct, Jennifer? That's what we want them to do. We want them to purchase it and go review it, right? Absolutely. I will look forward to hearing every review, and I love getting the feedback from people, which has been wonderful so far. I really appreciate that. And yes, it's wonderful to have uh, individual indie bookstores be aware of it. I'm yeah. really excited to to hear hear more from booksellers and readers. Wonderful. Well, we're so happy to have you here today and uh, to talk about your book and your life. It's been, this is a, a, a book a long time in the making, right? Like how, how many years did it take you to write this book? Well, I guess you could say it took me 34 years in a sense, because in 1989, uh, Russell and I were married in May of 1989, and we took off November 11th. It's coming up now on 34 years. Um, so that first trip that I started documenting in my little, you know, spiral bound notebook, my, my ship's log each night, you know, we went here, we went there and, uh, you know, how I felt about it, what I was experiencing. I actually started it in September of that year when we moved onto the boat and I have pages where I'm talking about provisioning, like how this box of <laughs> pancake batter <laughs> looks like it's like the size of Chicago, you know, do, how do, where do I put this or, you know, how do I you know, stock this. And this is a very small boat. I mean, it's 26 foot boat. So a, a Columbia, 26, Columbia 26 for those out there that are aware. Exactly. Yeah. So sailors will know there's not a lot of storage space. And we had two bikes, two folding bikes. We had, um, we did not have an inboard engine. We had an outboard engine on that boat. So, um, so there was a little more space below and we had lacerettes out back, but it's, you know, so the, the, the main salon had, you know, the hammock, you know, the ubiquitous cruiser hammock full of um, fruit, fruit yeah. and veggies. Well, I have one quick question yeah. in terms of storage. Sure. Not only is it a small boat and you had two folding bikes, <laughs> Russell had how many head sails aboard? Six? We had six Six or seven. I think oh there might gosh, have been just seven. The sail bags would yes. take up a ton of room yes, on a exactly. Columbia twenty six. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it it we had a one eighty, a one fifty, a one ten, <laughs> a storm jib, uh, and the Reacher Drifter. There's another one because I know there were six. Um but yeah, and we would sometimes see them all in a day oh my gosh <laughs> we, right. would, we i think we i think our, our our record was like nine sail changes in a day you know wow. but russ would say it's all part of my active lifestyle <laughs> eking out every quarter of a knot no kidding absolutely yeah. i have so many questions about a 26 foot the choice to live aboard a 26 foot sailboat um but first, I'd really like to... <laughs> Who made that choice? Yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, but obviously you survived. Um, but I'd like to go back even further. Like, sure. how, what is your experience growing up with boats? Did you have any experience, your family or something like that? How, what got you interested in boats? What led to this decision? It's a very simple answer. Absolutely none. I had no experience sailing, um, but I was in theater as a teenager, and I met Russell doing a play, Our Town, by Thornton Wilder, at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. And I 
fell for him pretty much, you know, right then. And uh, but I was 14. So, you know, common decency and the state law, as he put it. <laughs> um, it but uh, so he, you know, it, it fended me off very gently. And I just kept showing up in his life. And I knew he was interested. He lived on the beach even mm. then. And I knew he was interested in boating. And so we saw each other on and off over the years. And at one point, we dated for quite a while. And um, then he broke my heart. He hates when I tell this part, but he did. And so I went as far as I could, which was New York City, to get away from him, you know, so I didn't make a fool of myself. And when I came back to visit family, we got together, had lunch, and he proposed, like you do. And (laughs) (laughs) he took me out sailing with my brother and his wife at the time. I mean, they're still together. I didn't mean his wife at the time. Um, we went sailing together and that night he proposed and I said, you know, fine, you live here in San Diego. I'm not going to drop all this that I've been working for for five years in New York. And he said, no, I'll move to New York. And I went, what? So that's when I knew he was serious. And then fast forward to New York City, not long after that, we were sitting on the Upper East, uh, on the Upper West Side in my apartment, and it's snowing outside. And I said, like you do when you're in love, what would you do, honey, if you could do anything in the world? And he said, you and I would get on that boat and we'd sail down to Mexico. And I went, I looked outside. I looked <laughs> at snow. him. Was, I went, okay, tell me more. And so we got out the atlas, and I was doing that thing with your hands where you're like, 100 miles a day, I can do that. You know, we we would make it to the Panama Canal in like four months. And he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you know, he wasn't going to dissuade me from this madness. So he said, sure, yeah, we can do that. Now, and, you said that boat yeah. Was it a specific boat? Did he? Ha- he did already had the boat. He'd okay. gotten the boat in 1982, and this uh, we got married in 89. So he'd been working on it. So I have spent much time in boat yards since mm. then, but I did not have to do one bit of work on the boat in terms of that kind of, of you know, the real boatyard kind of work. Um, I did the netting because he had a friend who had been a tuna fisherman, so he showed me how to do the actual tuna twine netting, yeah, yeah. which was really cool, and I wish I could remember how to do. Um, <laughs> now I buy it at West Marine like everybody else. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I did things like that, did some decorative boat nodding, you know, line nodding, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, so we took off in, you know, six months after getting married, and I knew nothing. I mean, I'd been to Mission Bay, which people from San Diego know that's like eight miles. Um, Been overnight on the boat once. So I definitely was taking a big leap. Um, And a lot of people thought that was pretty crazy. Russell said, yeah, this is a recipe for divorce. But he also said, she's been an actor in New York City. How much more how much tougher can yeah, life be than that? So she sure. can she can handle this. So what was uh, if you didn't have didn't grow up with boats? I'm assuming Russell did to some extent. What was Russell's experience with the boat? And did he purchase this boat when you were together? Do you remember the purchase of it or anything like that? No, he bought the boat when we were um, when we were dating, but it wasn't a, a mutual. I mean, he was buying the boat and I knew about the boat, but I didn't spend any time. I was doing other things. I was, you know, 
pursuing my career. Um, and he actually is from Iowa. So <laughs> mm. he moved to Oceanside as a little kid with his family. And so he grew up at the ocean, as I did. And both of us were, you know, know about body surfing and waves and that sort of thing, but not not boating per se. But he lived on a boat briefly as a college student and um, always wanted to have a boat. And his brother was into boating and the whole family. Um, so he got this boat in 82. And as I say, he spent a lot of time fixing it up and painting. It was gorgeous. It had that uh, that really nice um, navy blue hull with a kind of a tan um, deck. And it was gorgeous. I mean, people would really point and stare at it. I mean, it, it, I, I couldn't take any credit, but I was very proud of nice. it in spite of that. So, um, but yeah, and he taught me how to sail. I mean, we, we, we basically just went out and went in circles in San Diego Bay like everybody else does. And he, you know, saw me white knuckling and it's like, this is not an F-18. You're not, nothing's going to go wrong that fast. Just relax, enjoy. And there was no yelling and screaming. He just said, you know, don't worry, I'm right here. And and I think he was just so calm about it, you know, that that I I, I enjoyed it from the very beginning, you know. I, but, think, I think it's really interesting having read most of the first half which centers on that first trip down to Mexico. You're, I'm at the point where you're heading towards mainland. And oh, so in this part of the book, she's writing about learning, not how to, just how to sail, but how to live aboard and provision and, and the social interactions with other cruisers and so forth. And that was 30 Four years ago. This woman has more <laughs> sailing experience yeah. cruising In her pinky than, than yeah. most people that have boats in this marina. Sure. So I, I got to remind myself, reading this and then talking to you now, those are two different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was sailing. I was no, I know what you're saying. I mean, I was 28 and I had literally other than I mean, I'd been on, you know, ferries and that sort of thing, you know, or maybe on a cruise ship like for a day. I didn't know anything. Um, but I think once again, you know, I have to give Russell a lot of credit. It, one of the things he did was when we left San Diego, we went to the Los Coronados. Then we went to Todos Santos Island. Then we went to, you know, Punta Baja. And then we went to, you know, San Quentin. And every night we would anchor because no matter how, you know, unsure, anxious, you know, scared, tired, exhausted, you know, nauseous, whatever you might be during the day, once you anchor, it's like your little home and, and it feels secure. And as soon as you eat, if you can, you know, have the time to eat before you pass out, you know, from exhaustion, um, and every day was a fresh day. You know, and then as as Darren has read, um, as Darren O'Brien has read, um, <laughs> that you know I had to to do my first night watch, and that was really a a a major come to Jesus moment. You know, um, it was really a big life change. It was a big, now, you know, was that first night watch? Um, and one of my, I love the the quote from. Desiderata mm-hmm. about that was it. That, that it was, was that, that night. night sailing yep. under the constellations, and oh, I get goosebumps just thinking about that it, it, moment because I've sailed under uh, a moonless night and exactly. just the Milky Way, and yep. it's it's transcendent. It is absolutely, and you feel at first, I I I felt almost, and it sounds crazy, claustrophobic. It was like there was so much space 
that there was nothingness. I get that, yeah. yeah. That I almost was like, it, you know, a proto-panic attack. You know, I was just like, oh, can't I do this? I mean, I'm like out here, there's nothing. There's nothing to guide me but this little red dot on this compass. I mean, am I going to, will the boat crash? Will I, you know, and I was not going to go below and say, come up and hold my <laughs> hand, you know? I mean, you just can't do that, you know? Um, so I'm stubborn. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I just, you know, deep breaths and all that. And then little by little, as you say, I started thinking, you know, people have been doing this for thousands of years with with less Much than less, I have right yeah. here you know though we didn't have a GPS at the time um you know, we, we did know where we were and, you know, following our line of position and, and all this navigation yeah. stuff that I had been learning to do was like, oh, it's it's happening. And, and to find that next day that we were heading right towards those <laughs> islands, the little smudge appears yep. on the horizon. We were jumping up and down. And, and then you forget how long it's going to take for that little smudge on the horizon <laughs> to, I mean, for ever yeah it takes forever it's like the entire day was waiting to actually pull into that anchor well, and uh, under sail in those mm. conditions i mean the average conditions that you encountered you were doing what four, three knots four knots three, on a good four day four knots yeah, so yeah it takes a, a while day. for that island on the horizon to <laughs> long, rush up on you long, long time. but it's not about the destination it it's is. the journey so. absolutely which you would have realized if at the time you had the resources that a person has today, for right. example, uh, all the GPS, instrumentation that right. is available now, or you could, for any single thing that you want to know about boating, there's YouTube videos you and you can it. go learn. You can see other people experiencing it live. Yep. Back then, you had none of that. And while people have been sailing by the stars and instruments for thousands of years, it still had to be you know, stepping off a cliff. You have no idea what's going to happen. And that sense of adventure... Uh, in some ways, I'm jealous because you can't really right. get that the same way these days, you know, which it, in a lot of ways is great because the the, the safety equipment and, and instrumentation, you can know where anybody is at any time. Um, it's great stuff to have. Mm -hmm. If you have loved ones out at the ocean, you want them, you know, on the mm -hmm. sea, you want them to have all that available to them. But what an adventure, you know. It really is true that it is, um, the book is a, a time capsule. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not only mm -hmm. a time capsule, but what sailing was like. I mean, I'd read Lynn and Larry's sure. uh, book. I'd, I'd read a handful of other, you know, Sterling Hayden, all that, you know, Russell gave me like, you must read these. And actually the name Watchfire comes from an epigram yeah. that was in a Sterling Hayden book. And um, I, so I knew it conceptually. You know, and, and but to be out there is completely different. And especially, as we were saying, in the night with just the stars. Um, but but there's also, as you as you say, is that this this completely new life that you weren't getting all the tutorials for. You don't have that, you know, wait, back it up. What did he say I do next <laughs> that we all do at YouTube University now? Yeah. Um, it's it's totally different. You had to invent it. We were we were yourself. We were writing it as we went along. And we had we had come across some things I think I mentioned about the blue and pink jobs. You know, girls have yeah. pink jobs and boys have blue jobs. And we were like, eh, not so much. Um, um, because there were just things that I was better suited for and and, and that he was better suited for. And, and we've always been a little purple, you know, sure. <laughs> we're not, not tied into those things. But I found that there were things that like I loved is speaking of the navigation. I loved getting out the, you know, uh, the big 
um, text that has, you know, all the, the gosh, I'm, I'm H-O-249. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and looking up, you know, what the declination and the yeah. day and the difference between to right now and Greenwich Mean and figuring it out and going, here's where we should be. And oh, my God, there's our line of position <laughs> and we're pretty darn close. And that's pretty. It was exciting. It was really exciting. How has that changed over 30 plus years? Like, yeah. do you, do you, we turn do on you... our Garmin and, you know, we just, <laughs> just everything goes through the, you know, we've got a big Garmin chart, plot, chart plotter and yeah. we've got AIS and we've got radar and, and I'm glad to have it, as you say. I mean, there's absolutely no way that I would do, especially Puget Sound, because not only the weather, but the currents. Y'all have some currents up here. <laughs> They're like serious in yeah. being able to plot when you're going to get to a place, you know, and then of course you got your phone with all your apps, Deep Zoom and oh, Active yeah, Captain yeah. and, you know, all these things. And it is nice to know those things. It is, it, you know, you don't, I don't, you know, Russell says, I used to go looking for trouble till I found out how much trouble there was. And, you know, and the other saying we say to ourselves all the time is when you've got all your eggs in one basket, watch that basket. I oh, mean, yeah. our oh, boat has yeah. our life in it now. We don't have a house anymore. We don't have, you know, we got the boat, you know, so it, we're, we're a lot more um, cautious than people who are out, you know, for the weekend on their, on their, on their playboat. Oh, yeah. And yeah, sure. it, yeah. It, that's not a, that's no, that's no, um, not dissing them at all sure. for how they look it's at it. It's completely different. It's Just, like a sports yeah. car versus your work truck, yeah, you know? Absolutely. I think that was or your in, RV. interesting how you referred to cruising in Puget Sound versus elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I, I really want to get into your impressions of the Salish Sea. Mm -hmm. But you eventually, you guys went through the Panama Canal and... Talk a little bit about the mainland of Mexico and going through the canal and up to New York and so forth. Well, the, just to catch people up, I mean, we, we went down to the Sea of Cortez for three months and we ended up spending a year. Um, and, and we just loved it so much. And so, you know, the, the book covers that time that we spent down there, but it ends with the Panama Canal because really that was the year and, and the honeymoon. Mm -hmm. And um, we loved going down the mainland. We, we crossed crossed over um, a, near um, Puerto Vallarta and we sailed down the coast and stayed in Acapulco and, and Huatulco and just beautiful places. And I think we put up our Reacher Drifter the day we got there and never took it down. I mean, oh it was gosh. just like an incredibly wonderful, just a steady offshore breeze that was just like heavenly. And we what, what really What did you call that, that sail? What was the name? Um, the, the, I know, I wish the, I would have. The, Some of the sales had nicknames, and that was a good one. I can't remember. The, yeah, we, he, he wanted to call it the Hulking Bastard. I think the, the other one was called the Hulking Bastard. Um, the, the, um, yeah, we'll but having that reacher up was just like a light yeah. little, like a like a like a lazy man's uh, spinnaker, and mm -hmm. it would just cut just perfectly. So it would just fly along, and we just sailed down the coast like that. It was gorgeous, and we went through the Tawana Pack that everybody warns you about, and that was you know no problem. You didn't encounter a Tawana Pecker. Did, we did not. Oh, we good. had a great <laughs> trip, and, and and everything was great. We got down to um, Nicaragua. And we actually were 
off of now, I know <laughs> that we were off of the massive Lake Nicaragua, which is which is you know on the in, on the inside of the of the state or yeah. the country. Yeah. But the wind comes across from the Atlantic over that very low, just like the Tehuantepec, and it's got a name that I can't think of right now. Papagayo, Papagayo wind, I think. And um, we were way offshore, and we were sailing south and it was getting pretty spicy. And Russell said, uh, that's going too fast. You know, I mean, the, the wind increase happened too quickly. We're going to go into shore. And I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, you know, by then I thought I knew kind of a lot about sailing and I was pretty, you know, like, let's not be so cautious. We can make some time. Let's get down there. And we went in and anchored just outside of the break. I mean, just outside of the waves. And we were there for five days and it Waiting blew 60 it plus oh, yeah. knots. Wow. And it was exactly the right thing to do. I mean, it would have been in a, in a boat we'd been boating, buddy boating with was lost in that storm. Oh, no. Though the people were rescued. Oh, The boat was lost. That's so. That's, that's kind of unusual in terms of um, rescues at sea because the boats often pop up. Yeah, Elsewhere. It, was a, it was a ham radio link to a, or a VHF link to a ham radio link in Alaska that called somebody oh somewhere God, else geez. and some Colombian tanker picked them and they stepped up off their boat onto that oh, yeah. tanker and, and um, yeah, and were rescued. But the boat, the boat went down and it was a big, I want to say a 45 foot schooner. I mean, it was a good sized boat. Mm. But So was that your first... Um scary experience or or was it even scary you were you were you in a safe anchorage and it was fine was that the your your first uh like kind of eye-opening experience of what the ocean could be like or living out there well sailing many people who've been around the world will agree with me that the sea of cortez has some of the most uncomfortable seas and they call them square seas because the seas are coming from four different directions so the trip from cabo to la paz which we've done now twice is never fun um, they call it bashing for a reason. So it's uncomfortable, but obviously the, the shore's right there. I mean, you don't think you're going to die. I mean, you might think you're going to swim to shore, but you're not going to die. Uh, crossing the Sea of Cortez up um, higher up, like when we were crossing to um, San Carlos uh, in the late 90s, that was, you know, that's no fun. But once again, you know, it's a small passage. But when you're out at sea, you know, and off an offshore like that, and and your next step is, you know, if you keep getting blown that way, next step Tahiti, you know, next step Hawaii, whatever. Um, it is really a lot more exciting. Um, but because we were always, and because Russell has good instincts, clearly, um, and I would have been like, no, let's go faster. Um, <laughs> when we left that anchorage, actually, it ended up just being tedious, really, to be at that anchorage. Because after a while of it blowing 60 knots, you're like, that's blowing 60 knots, whatever. Again. You know, and we have nothing left to eat. You know, I think we're eating the, you know, those decorative beans that you have beans and rice in like a canister. They, we literally <laughs> were boiling oh, those beans, gosh. you know, but we also use them for poker chips. And I finally had the time to teach him to play poker because he really hates card games and board games of every kind. And, 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 and then I dealt him a real straight flush, which he's, I've, I've never lived that one down. And then, so, you, then you ate your winnings. And then we ate our winnings. Exactly. Rice and beans. You will never run out of rice and beans. So I, I keep going back in my head to it being a 26 foot boat. <laughs> 
Because when I before I purchased my first boat, Iron Feather, which is a few slips over now, um, the first boat I was actually looking at was a 26-foot sailboat that was docked right across the bay here. Um, and that was for a weekender. I can't imagine living on a 26-foot boat, even, well, maybe by myself. But what was... What was that experience like being on a 26 foot boat? How many years were you on that boat? And what did it feel like when you moved into your current and bigger boat? Well, the very, the wonderful thing about me living on a 26 foot boat is that I didn't know there was anything else. Mm. It's like, you know, talk to somebody that grew up in a backcountry cabin with an outhouse. What mm. was it like growing up? It was like growing up, mm -hmm. you know, Angela's ashes, right? You know, I mean, ask the guy, right? It was just the way you grow up. So for me, there was nothing sad about it. Mm. It was, I'm on a boat. I'm living on a boat with the person I'm madly in love with. Mm. So I've got no problem. It was, it, the first few months were colder than I expected them to be because Baja's not really warm in November and December um, or January. Um, but once it started warming up, it, it the great thing about a boat is you're really living outside. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and as I said to somebody um, recently, it's like when you go camping, you don't say this tent is awfully small right. you think these sierras are really big right. or this olympic peninsula is so stunning Very you don't point. sit there and obsess about the size of your you know you get in your little pup tent or you're in your little mummy sleeping bag and you sleep really cozy yeah. and the fact that it's so small is really great because you stay warm and dry so boats are meant to keep the water out and the and the and the dark out and the scary out and so when you're in a boat you know it's it's you know you have that feeling of coziness but during the day we were diving and snorkeling and swimming and and sailing and gliding along under the beautiful skies and sometimes it was too hot or too cold or too this or too that but they would have been the same thing sure. sitting in my backyard in san diego absolutely so the world was your backyard my the world is my backyard and yeah. and it still is yeah i mean and and the cool thing is of course now for a couple months of the year it can also be my freezer you know i can put things outside and keep my keep the ice cream from melting. leftovers stay fresh um we still don't have a freezer but we have one right outside um so what happened to the original watch fire is that we lived on it for from 1989 to um 2003 um and in 2003, we were thinking of, we had we'd taken the boat back to Baja. We trucked it back um, from Arizona. We were going to fix the boat up to sell it to get a bigger boat. And everybody knows that spending time fixing up a 26-foot boat to sell it is pretty much just throwing money away because you're never going to make that money back. But sure. Russell was like, no, we have to make it at least. Enough. So we were living on the boat in the back country of San Diego on some friend's property and a big a uh, fire came through and the boat ended up um, a pile of ashes along with the very cool custom trailer we would had made. Mm. So, but that enabled us to get the new boat. So it was not, I mean, it was sad, but it wasn't sad. I mean, it was a Viking funeral, which that boat totally deserved. Though Richard Spindler of Latitude 38, when we got the new boat, we'd sailed about like two miles um, in Newport Harbor, and we ran into Richard Spindler at the fuel dock in Newport Beach. And he goes, hey, how are you guys doing? And we said, yeah, this is the new boat. And he goes, 
uh, it was named Toad Hall at the time. And he goes, oh, you're going to keep that name? And we go, no, we're naming it Watchfire. And he goes, what are you guys, crazy? <laughs> and we said, no, we just not superstitious. you yeah. know. So we named it Watchfire. Which is unusual to, for, for I know, sailors. Maybe. I know. Yeah. And Russell's got every other sub- superstition under the sun, but sure. not that one. <laughs> um, but we, um, yeah, we. It, it's so when we, when we went looking for the next boat, I had a, you know, we both had a list of things we mm-hmm. wanted. Russell wanted inboard engine and, um, you know, he wanted a sloop, which we'd had and, you know, various other things. And I wanted two cabins, you know, because I had seen that because we now, you know, were planning to be working from home you know, and traveling as much as we could. At the time, Russell was teaching class in person and we would have summers off. So we were going to go up and down the coast of California from San Diego to San Francisco, which we did. And we knew that working from the boat was going to be interesting. So I figured, you know, if we had two cabins, we, you know, if somebody's working, you know, you have a little bit of privacy or a little bit of different working spaces. And he was still doing his artwork. And so long story short, when we walked onto it, we just said, yeah, this is the boat for us. And I think obviously living on a boat, being on a boat creates a a checklist in your mind Mm -hmm. of the things that you want in your next boat. Mm -hmm. Um, You went from a 26 to a 34. 35. 35. So you added quite eight, nine feet. What was that like? It's a big 35 too. I mean, yeah. it's it's really one of those boats. It's not super deep, you know, like a like one of the Columbia 36s or but it's 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 big and it's roomy for a for a sloop, for a sailboat. And so the aft cabin it also has a pass through on both sides, which I like um so I can be, you know, cooking or something in the galley and he can go through the other way and you know, it just makes life a little bit simpler. Um and you know, we have a dog and you know, we've got a life with a whole bunch of moving parts. So it it's it's nice to have that. But I think what's funny is that People will say to me, you know, how do you live? I mean, because to a landlubber, they still come onto a boat and go, it's so small, you know, you don't have room. And I'm like, what is it that I don't have room for? Because, and whenever I tell people this, they have a kind of an aha moment. It's like when you come home from work, you know, you might take a shower, you might make a, a snack or whatever, and then you go sit in your chair, right? I mean, am I wrong? And what's your view <laughs> right. So you're going to sit in your spot, yes. you know, just like Sheldon, right? This is yes. my spot. Doesn't matter how big the room exactly. is. Exactly. It's a it, chair. That's it's the, the chair that you're comfortable in, or it might be your chair on the patio, or it yeah. might be your chair in front of the fireplace, depending on, but you're not going to be like up jigging around, you know, you're not going to be dancing too many times in your house. You're not going to be, I mean, some people have a workout room, but most people don't work out in their living room. So basically I've got a really cool spot. I put my feet up on the compression Mm -hmm. post you know I lean back I can sit there and read or look at my laptop and when I walk outside I've got the entire world you know Mm -hmm. and it's right there people pay millions for the views that you get greatest world's greatest backyard at all times I once heard that for for sailboats it doesn't apply to um, power boats but for sailboats every we, we've all heard of two-foot-itis, mm-hmm. but for every two feet in length overall that you get in a sailboat, you virtually double your interior volume. Exactly. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it, going from 26 to 35, was you more than doubled your, your living space. It feels like you could have put Little Watchy inside our boat. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is exactly. really that much more roomy, though our V-berth is not that much bigger, um, and we still... 
we still sleep in the V-berth because we like each other. Um, (laughs) but you know, the back has got, you know, it's got our, you know, flat screen TV. I mean, we're, we're like everybody else. We like to Netflix and chill, you know, like everyone else. And, you know, you just kick back there and watch movies and, and, um, you know, uh, binge on Ted Lasso. I mean, it's all, you know, the same (laughs) kinds of things that everybody else does, but I get to also, you know, uh, we rode ashore in our Portland pudgy and, you know, um, and, and get out and walk on a beach or. Or, you know, tie up in front of a state park or mm-hmm. like now, just walk up the gateway gangway and, you know, take a stroll in, in Port Townsend. So Lovely. it's a pretty nice life. It's a pretty different life in the Puget Sound in Port Townsend than cruising Mexico or the ICW. Or Have you noticed like. that? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, I haven't, I I haven't cruised or lived aboard full no. time in those areas, but yeah, they're vastly no, t- different. Totally different. And, and we're loving it. Um, but it is definitely every, every month has been a, a learning curve. You wow. know, the summers that we've spent up here, um, cruising, um, you know, the, the San Juan Islands, we haven't even, you know, we've been to like four of them. I mean, there's so much left to do, but we've really enjoyed cruising the South Puget Sound, which yeah. people doesn't get as much press, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many cool little islands and the state parks. Of course, we got the state park pass. So we go to all these little places out of the way, you know, that people don't write about. And of course, lovely Port Ludlow where we are now, and Paulsbo, we love, and uh, we really enjoy, you know, Blakely. I mean, there's just been so many lovely places, and we, we like Seattle. We enjoyed being in Seattle. Hate those locks. Can't say <laughs> enough about that. Um, You're not alone on that, I've heard. I, I, heard I, that I understand that. It's, have you guys uh, crossed the border? We have not. You haven't gone into we, Canada We yet. could have thrown a rock over the border yeah. when we were heading for Roche Harbor, um, but it was just, we had a time crunch, and um, it, the, this book, this book thing, um, it turns out I had a lot of, you know, uh, publicity stuff to do and getting calls and getting books and, and deadlines, and people don't like when there's something like, okay, I, I made that change, and it, we want to go to the printer, and we need you to sign off on it. They don't mm-hmm. want to hear from you the next day when you get to, right. you know, where you can. And we use a hotspot, so it's basically a cell signal, yeah, which is okay because— T-Mobile goes over the border, but we were just, you know, the time it would take us to check in and get legal and all that, you know, we would be cutting into the time we had. So we went to Rosh Harbor and had a great time in Friday Harbor. What are, what are your plans for now that the book is out, it's published, it's getting rave reviews, yes. people love it, we love it. Uh, what are your plans for next summer? Next summer is Sunshine Coast. Oh, Because it's there got the go. two things I like most in its name. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, you're a sun lover for sure. Oh, I'm totally a sun yeah. lover. Yeah. And and though our, we did have a life-changing experience, I will say, that made cruising up here completely different than it would have been, which is when we were in Sausalito a couple of years ago, we said, oh, we're right here with one of the great canvas makers. We should have them extend this. We had just a little Dodger and we had the top part, you know, the bimini, I guess Mm -hmm. you call it, attached to it. And that had been done. And we said, we should really enclose this because there's going to be so many times. Oh my goodness. If we hadn't done that, it would totally have been a game changer. 
I mean, this was like, it's like adding a room to yeah, your house. a sunroom. It's like adding yes. a sunroom. Or and it almost gives you a pilot house. It in the, does. Because you're a center cockpit. It does, exactly. So, so you can really see, cool. you can steer from in there, of course. Um, we have the chart plotter kind of pulls out so you can see it, you know, down the companionway. And uh, yeah, you can look around and see everything. And sometimes even when we're sailing, I lower the sides. It's like, I can see what's out there. Um, and and it's just wonderful. And one of the things that I never thought of is like a greenhouse, that it can be 50 degrees and, the, and a wind blowing, but it's sunny. And you mm-hmm. walk outside 75 degrees in my little, in my little greenhouse. So I'll sit out there and, That's great. you know, yeah. uh, read a book and sun my legs and, you know, feel like I'm in Mexico for a few hours um but yeah sunshine coast we're very excited about that in the gulf islands we haven't even touched so that's i mean next chapter oh my the gosh. honeymoon you have, you continues still, you have many summers <laughs> the honeymoon continues uh, well you, you say that the honeymoon continues uh do you have few i mean obviously you're still in the midst of uh promoting this book and you just finished but in the back of your mind is there another book in on the way i hope so <laughs> the, you know, short answer, the short answer is no. You know, people. Let me cut to this yeah, people have talked to me about it. I, it this, I five spiral bound notebooks. Yeah, good sized notebooks went into this. I have like two notebooks of from the Panama Canal back to San Diego. I loved the Intercoastal Waterway. We adored it, and we adored. Um, I mean, we spent time in Florida back when. Florida was cool. And <laughs> we had a blast. We had a lot of fun. We loved, I mean, the natural beauty of, of that part of the world is just stunning. Mm-hmm. We love New Orleans yeah. and the, the Redneck Riviera mm-hmm. that they call it there. Um, it, it was gorgeous. But there, there really isn't a, a, enough of an, you know, it could be a nice article, I think. Um, you know, a long article, maybe a series of articles, mm-hmm. but it, I just don't feel like there's an arc to it. There isn't a story to it. I mean, we kind of go from where we were to where we were again. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think I heard, I've listened to a, a couple podcasts and um, live your best. No, what's the, your best life. Anyway, mm. don't, don't remember the name of the podcast, okay. but um, in that you talked about, not wanting this book just to be another travelogue of here's all the places we went because you 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 don't flashback but you give context to what you're doing where you're what you're thinking mm-hmm. from your childhood how you were brought up and and so right. you weave in all these elements of your life which is really makes it a very meaty read right Thank but you. as opposed to okay, let's just write where we went. Yeah, it was which follow is what your bliss. a lot of books are. Follow your bliss. Follow podcast. your bliss. Yes, yeah, and I think one. that's very true. And and that's why when you ask a long time ago how long it took the book to to get written, I really started putting stories together pretty quickly maybe like five years after the trip I started putting things into articles and I wrote about finding Charlie and I wrote about you know sailing the boat and and learning how to sail and that and the night passage and and we came back down the second time actually in June which people don't do and so I wrote an article about that for for um, latitude, I think. And and it, so, you know, I'd gotten some things out there and some essays, and I knew that I wanted to write a book, but I didn't really know what it was going to say. I mean, hmm. I didn't really know the shape of it. I didn't really know the point of it. And I had written a book about my first 
year in New York, and it was in a drawer, and it and it deserved to be there. And 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 then I started pirating things from that and thinking, oh, I could write that, and I could write this thing I wrote about growing up in the Venice Canals, and I could write mm-hmm. about traveling in Europe with my mom, and I could write about you know um, living in a commune, you know, with my hippie parents and things like that, and also struggling as an actor in New York and L.A. and what that was like, you know, the trying to live up to some ideal that changes daily, you know, and, and things like that, and I think that does make it more interesting. Mm-hmm. And funny enough... Elsie um, Hulsizer, who's a wonderful uh, woman, um, sailor, adventurer, and author, and she read my book and gave me a wonderful blurb. Oh, and, she's great! And uh, when yeah. I talked to her, she said, "I have to tell you, when I first started writing, reading it, I said, like, what's all this stuff got to do with anything? You know, why are you writing about being a kid?" And then she said, "And by the end, I uh-huh. wouldn't have changed a word. I loved it." And she said, "It made it so much more interesting than most sailing books." And I just went, Absolutely. "Wow, that's thank true. You. It made my..." And you know, I I think another thing that's interesting is um, anyone can read this book mm-hmm. and and get so much out of it. And in terms of being able to relate, I mean, we were all children. We were all <laughs> raised by parents or <laughs> wolves, what have you. <laughs> um, and then we've met, we've fallen in love, we've, we, we've, we've tried to, careers, all this. So all those elements. And then you weave in learning how to sail and cruise and live aboard and even landlubbers are going to get a sense for what that's like. But I, I dare say us boaters get a little bit more out of your book because we really know what you're talking about <laughs> in yeah. some of those passages. But I would say that it's probably totally relevant to, um, as we were discussing before the podcast, today there's people that are living in vans. There's people that are exactly. living in tiny homes made out of containers. There's you know, down in Portland, there's a woman that built a, a hobbit home in the side of a hill, you know, and small spaces, I think, mm-hmm. applies to a lot more people today right. than it did potentially back then. Yeah. Um, now, you were a bit of a pioneer in a lot of ways, one, choosing to live on a boat and, and sailing uh, the world, um, but also working from your home, essentially. Now, that's a much more common practice, especially after COVID, there's even more people doing it. Um what was it like for you discovering, you said, how I found myself. That's the subtitle hmm. of the book. Um, what did you find? How? What, what did you find of yourself in this process of living in a small space, living amongst the world? The world is your uh, backyard. And um, how did you find your career, which is you're an editor? And, and you know, I'm guessing you were very hard on yourself in terms of writing the book because you were an editor and you've read so many uh, <laughs> books, good and bad. Um, just tell me about that whole process of, of, of learning to work from your home, being an editor, what that's like, and how that applied to writing a book your, yourself. Well, it's a 25-year process, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the Well, 35-year process, I guess. Um, it, when we took off, I mean... I wanted to be an actor. It's all I'd ever kind of pursued as a kid. I'd I'd written as a as a kid, <laughs> little books I wrote at like five, um, and I wrote in high school and you know had things you know in the school paper or whatever. Um, so I always loved writing, and 
when we took off, you know, once again, this was going to be a short time and then we were going to go to New York and then it was going to be a longer time, but we were still going to New York. And then we got to Florida and things were going on. You know, we needed to get back to San Diego. Family things were happening. And it just seemed like, well, I can still pursue this, you know, I mean, Los Angeles, right? It, it, so I kept just kind of pushing the decision down the road a little bit. But meanwhile, I had started writing. And what I discovered in writing was it, it, threefold. One, I felt as creative as I, and more creative than I ever had as an actor because I wasn't going into somebody else's world and trying to make myself fit their idea. Um, also that I had something to say and that I could say it. And actors kind of only get to say what the other person what tells them to yeah. say. Though I'd done a little playwriting and my best friend was a playwright. And so there had been a lot of discussions between us about what we had to say. And I'd done plays that I, where I'd gotten to write a bit and that sort of thing. But all of a sudden I could like create people up out of whole cloth. I could make them up and I could have them say whatever I wanted them to say and the room could look how I wanted it and the day could be, you know, the temperature or whatever. And it was pretty heady stuff. I thought this was pretty cool. And I thought, but of course I can't make a living at it because no one can make a living as a writer, right? You know, so such enthusiasm. I had such, <laughs> such I'm pretty much an optimist, but I'm also a realist, sure. a realistic optimist. Um, so I said, you know, well, you know, I'll pursue that and then I'll do something else, you know, to make money. And I, I can always wait to and bartend and things that I knew how to do. And um, then in 1997, we were on the boat in Baja and we had a whole new group of friends and some friends of ours came over one day and said, you should do a book like, I mean, a collection like The New Yorker only for people in Baja. We were like, right. We thought you were our friends. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we thought, you know, that would be kind of cool to think about. It seems like an awful lot of work, which it was. And so we did something called the Sea of Cortez Review, three years running. And we would publish stories about Baja. And people would say, I have a story, I think, can you fix it? And I would get in and tinker mm. with it and we would work together. People would always say, I'm not a writer, but I wrote a story. And I'm like, okay, there's something contradictory <laughs> there. Um, but a lot of people feel like, um, and I would say, if you have a good story, all you have to do is get out of the way of it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a good writer. Mm -hmm. But if you have a kind of a, yeah, I think I've heard this story before, that's when you have to be a really good writer, you know. So there's two different kinds of writing. Um, so I found that I really loved that. I really loved helping people sculpt something, mm. you know, or in the context of what we're doing today, you guys can relate is I feel like when somebody's talking on the page, I'm there to get the static out. I'm there to get the, the voice clear, yeah. you know, just to, just to make those words come across as clearly as possible. So they don't go, huh, what, didn't she just say something else that contradicted that? I have to go back a page, you know, that kind of thing that throws you out of the whole magic of a story. So as an editor, that's what I try to do. And in Steve Cortez Review actually led us to Sunbelt Books. And Sunbelt is in San Diego, and they're a publisher and distributor. So I started working with them, uh, doing marketing, and I worked my way up to editor-in-chief. And, and, and then I realized that I was spending a lot of time in meetings and, and doing budgets and grant proposals and a lot of stuff that, you know, as usual in the corporate world, you know, you don't get to do what you want to do. You get mm -hmm. to get do what's good for the company, you know. But I still work with them, and they're a wonderful company for books about Baja and Mexico and, and, and the United States and, and California. 
Southern California. So that's very cool. I get to still find projects for them. I'm their editor cool. at large. I'm at large. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, in, in, and we were just so lucky that we both were already working from the boat yeah. that when the pandemic came, I feel guilty even saying it, but it just hardly affected us yeah. at all. Yeah. We were just really lucky in that we were able to, you know, Russell been working, teaching um, online for already for like four years by then. So it was really an easy, and, and we just love working from the boat. Oh, sure. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever find yourself missing a smaller boat? You know, I do. And, and I think there are times I especially miss it because... Russell, who does a lot more of the boat work, maintenance and upkeep than I do, um, has to work so much of the time. You know, there's always a project to be done or there's always a project to be planning for. I mean, right now we're planning for the haul out we're going to do in spring and mm -hmm. buying things and worrying about, you know, this is and that's, And that's that it affects him more than it affects me. I mean, I worry about other things, obviously, you know, so we, we, you know, have a little division of labor there. And of course, when we're in the boatyard, I work, I mean, do stuff and, and there's lots of other stuff, but yeah, but having a 26 foot boat where you have an outboard motor and you just get out there and sail and have a great time and you come in and walk away from it, simplified. you know, simplified. Yeah. 100%. We went from a 33 foot sailboat, mm -hmm. little pilot house, double mm -hmm. ender. To this 46 foot trawler and whenever i fa fantasize mm -hmm. about another boat someday <laughs> it's the little it's boat. A smaller boat it's the little boat it's a, yeah it's because that's the joy of you know especially when you the great the greatest days that a sailor has in my opinion it for us it's we're out sailing it's a sunny day the solar panels are clicking away you know you're putting all that power in you've got you know whatever devices that you need the, the stereos playing your favorite tunes right off the solar panel that everything's staying cool in your fridge for your cocktail a little later everything's happening for free and you're sailing oh, yeah. along under a solar wind it's all solar right wind solar too right so it's all it's it's just that wonderful feeling of being at one with self nature, self-sufficient, yeah. off the grid, but also part of the whole natural world. Yep. You're just like a leaf floating along there. The ocean is happy to have you there. I can totally understand <laughs> I wrote that. two sentences down at the end of one of your chapters, and it was, uh, I simply existed. Hmm. I was. And that's what sailing provides for a lot of people. The Zen of sailing. We say that all the time. We're, mm -hmm. we're always saying like, oh, let's discuss this or that tomorrow or solve this problem or think about this story or do this. We never do. We never do. <laughs> sailing is always less like the hours just go. It's like minutes go by and suddenly hours have gone by and all you've done is look around or adjust a line, look at a sail. Or <laughs> just, you've just been. You've just been. Which is lovely. It's lovely to be. I don't moment. think a lot of people experience that. You know, true. We have 
boat noises in the background. I think if they're coming through. We are we are in the middle of a marina, so I don't know what's being picked we're, up. But we're rocking and rolling. So I think it's a fishing. Boat, but I think people like. do. I mean, I think you read about flow all the time or being in the zone. You know, some people may do it while walking or jogging mm-hmm. or playing golf or playing tennis or pickleball or or playing a, a video game. I mean, there are a million ways that people can be out of them their head and be in the moment. Um, but there's something special about doing it out you know, in, in Mother Nature's yeah, world. Absolutely. I think it uh, provides more opportunity um, for that kind of introspection and, and, and uh, yeah, insight. Um, this is going to be one of those edits because I had a train of thought mm. and, and completely lost it. Pardon oh. me, boy. <laughs> yep. Is that the Darren train of thought? It is. Choo-choo. Um, when, we, when we first started looking for a boat, uh, I think just thinking in terms of downsizing and simplicity, which a lot of people are considering yes. downsizing these days as the housing market is, yes. you know, uh, mo- people can't even afford to buy homes around here. So I see a lot of people moving into tiny homes. I see a lot of people moving into um, sailboats. Uh, yep. My wife works with a young couple. They just moved into a sailboat in Port Townsend as well. Um, when we first started looking for a boat, being ignorant and being coming from the mindset of owning, wanting to purchase a home, you're always looking at big yard, big house. So when we first started looking at a boat, I was looking at a 90 foot cement boat, you know, cause I'm oh thinking, cause my wife was like, Oh, well that that's plenty. We could have a living room and we can have a room for each of the kids, you know, and you're in total ignorance. Obviously we wouldn't have even been able to get a slip anywhere uh, up here regardless. <laughs> but, um, now having owned a boat for so long, it, it is totally true. You, the, the fantasy is like, as as small as you can get away with mm-hmm. with whatever those boxes are that you mm-hmm. have to have you right. know in terms of a boat and and so I'm again I just am so envious um of your lifestyle that you've done it for so long um I wish we had Russell here to to hear f- from him a little bit well Russell and I are going to be doing a joint presentation at the yacht club well I will experience that That's for sure right. and, and the November meeting November 11th I believe now, do you think he found himself as well over these thirty-five years? What was his experience compared to your experience? And 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 talk a little bit about your relationship, if you don't mind, because um, I think I get that's to a lot speak of people. For him, this yes. will, he'll love this. No. <laughs> well, he was in the process of changing careers, um, not really changing careers, but but changing within his chosen career. He was an illustrator and very successful. And he wanted to do paintings. So he had had a couple of commissions and he knew that, you know, anybody that saw his stuff knew that he could do this. Um, But he needed to take some time and and have a body of work Mm. so that he could have a show. Mm. And so that was sort of the purpose of this of this trip for him. And of course, also to enjoy, you know, the 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 lifestyle and the sailing and, and me and me sure. enjoy him. Um, so we, when we took off, that was the purpose. Um, and it, I think that he didn't even know how much he was going to love the sailing, even though he knew he was going to love it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really knew how much it was going to expand our lives and expand our relationship and how much we were going to bond over the, the mm. lifestyle. And I think that part of that is, you know, for me was that I grew up 
at the beach, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, that was my world, you know, and I think the earliest um, memories are, you know, tied in with swimming or whether in our backyard pool or at the beach and on the sand or in the canals, you know. Um, so it's, it, to me, that was, and, and for him as well, I mean, he grew up in Oceanside, Car- Carlsbad. So, you know, once they came out from Iowa. So, you know, he was much a beach boy as, as well. Um, so I, I think we just didn't know how much we were going to like it, but it, it exceeded our expectations. And I think part of what people are experiencing with the van life and the tiny home and the, you know, simple living, you know, you talk magazines and everything that are about simple living is that we're so obsessed in our culture with the things that we have that give us value in our own eyes and in other people's eyes that we forget that it's so obvious that it's, it, it's really just a thing. Um, you know, cars crash and, 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 you know, homes burn up and, and, and none of it means anything. If you ever talk to somebody the morning after a fire or, or when our boat went up in flames, I was just so glad I had the photo albums. That was all I got. That was all I saved. And I did not care about one other thing. I could literally sit there and weep for happy how happy I was that I had those photos. Mm. Now, of course, they're all digitized and in the cloud, mm. so I don't got to worry about it. But for me, that was it. That was all I cared about. Mm. And and I think a lot of people feel that way. You know, it, they get their their kids, their pets, their photos, you know, hopefully a couple dollars, you know, whatever that one or two important things. But we shouldn't have to have something like that happen to us to realize what's really important. I mean, that's a societal shift that's maybe happening. And I think COVID affected people a lot. You know, they were sitting in their, in their big McMansion going, (laughs) I feel empty and hollow and sad, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and other people who were just living life and had to work for a living. I mean, whether they wanted to or not, our, our support, system our workers were all like hey dudes it's life this is the mm-hmm. way life's always been for me it's hard and unrelenting work you know and so there was a whole different societal shift i, I have a friend that i'd like to I, I have to paraphrase i can't quote her exactly danelle she and her family used to live in an rv and travel and she had uh, they had three kids and they located to Port Townsend, built a house. And one day she was talking about how she she missed the days when they all had one bowl, mm-hmm. one plate, one mug, and a fork and a spoon. And she missed that. And she had this big, beautiful home that they mm-hmm. built. But that's what she remembers. And mm-hmm. That's a really powerful statement to living small, which is actually living big. Exactly. I think um, the world, uh, you know, marketing and um, the world around us tells us what we want, but in so many cases, it's not what we want. It's the opposite. Um, My thought is, so this obviously worked for you and Russell and worked really well. You love it. Um, and you're going to continue. And you've been married for 35 years. Be 35 in May. Congratulations. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's an accomplishment, uh, whether you're living on Just, a sailboat yeah. or anywhere. <laughs> um, 
would you say, I'm assuming the answer is no, but is this life for everyone? Can it, can, can anyone learn to love life at sea or living simpler, small spaces? And what would your advice be to somebody who is considering making a move like this? Because it's a big step. You obviously were very brave maybe, or just, you know, going along for the ride. Maybe, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of ignorance getting into boats. Um, what, what would your, what would your advice be to somebody who's considering this, whether it be somebody who's single or a couple or anything that, uh, that is thinking about downsizing and specifically living on a boat? Well, one thing I wouldn't say is I wouldn't say stay home for the kids because a lot of people say, oh, I'd like to go cruising, but I can't because we have children. And I'm like, really? Kids don't like beaches and water and being, you know, being in nature and being spending a lot of quality time with you where you're not torn between 8 million other people tearing at you at 24 hours a day to have your time. That seems your, like such an obvious statement. Your device. Right? <laughs> yeah. you know? That is yeah. what a kid would prefer. But of yeah. course. Yeah. And the kids that we met are amazing people. I mean, the kids we met were like 18 months to like three or four or five years old. Every one of them is successful. Every one of them is in an exciting and interesting career. Most of them have boats or involve boats, but they're merchant marine, they're Navy, they're charter captains. They're just doing their thing. You know, one of them is, he's the most amazing world traveler. He's done everything from the Gobi Desert, seriously, like in a, in a sailboat made for the desert, like on wheels. I mean... I'm just amazing yeah. stuff. These kids are amazing. And they're not kids anymore. Sure. They're adults. But, and they're all doing exciting, adventurous things. And their kids will be even more exciting and adventuring. But when I was nine, I totally did not want to go to Europe. Yeah. And if, if my mom had listened to me, my life would not be what it is now. Because living with her and my brothers in that tent and traveling around with our three backpacks, you know, with the little bowl or the, you know, I mean, we had one thing. That was our responsibility to do and to take care of ourselves. And it taught us to be self-sufficient. And I used to love to see these little gringo kids, you know, little blonde haired kids. And they'd run into this village. They spoke no Spanish. The Spanish, you know, speaking kids spoke very little English. And two minutes later, they'd be playing. Two minutes later, there'd be a soccer game or whatever, or they'd be swimming and frolicking and have a great time. There was no problem. I mean, we know this, right? So... I wouldn't say it's for everyone, but I also feel like the reasons people list to not do it are not the reasons not to do it. And as I said in the book, if you love someone and love spending time with them, like 24 hours a day time, then there's room for you in the smallest boat. But if you don't have that connection, then there isn't a yacht in the world that's big enough. And you will learn quickly (laughs) whether you have that connection. You know, coming out of COVID, I think a lot of people experienced uh, loneliness Mm -hmm. like they've never experienced before in Mm -hmm. their lifetime. And I think people have perceptions potentially that life on a boat might be lonely. You're on your own little island. You're on your own little boat. I happen to know that the boating community (laughs) is a community. But can you go into a little bit of that? Like, were you lonely? Oh, not one 
minute that I can think of. Of course, I was homesick occasionally because I had very dear friends who were thousands and thousands of miles away from me. You know, I had a dear friend in New York and I had dear friends in San Diego and my brothers and I are really close and we still are to this day. So I miss them. I miss my mom, you know. She was like my best friend. And um, so it was hard to be going through things and not being able to pick up the phone, you know. And Sorry, I wasn't expecting that. It's okay. Totally um, <laughs> I still have that problem. Sure. <laughs> I'd have to make a much longer distance call now, though. Um, <laughs> but you can but FaceTime today, right? Whereas <laughs> no. 30 years ago. No, I ago. mean now she's in oh, heaven. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> a much longer distance call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call. Much longer. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, it, I, I, I definitely had homesick moments, but I mm-hmm. never was lonely. And I think it was that feeling, you know, of being in the right place at the right time time you know that that i was so grateful you know i mean i'm i may be dumb but i'm not stupid i mean i realized that i was having an incredible experience you know and i tried to remind myself of that whenever i forgot it you know when i wanted some peanut butter that i couldn't get or you know i mean some little thing that i you know when you get like i just want a head of romaine why is this so hard you know um things that just in baja are just a little more difficult but you know i knew at the time that it was totally you know not a real serious problem um so yeah loneliness was not a problem and you know i was with my best friend and i still am and aren't boaters awesome? Like the community oh of boating people. The community of boating people. And, and yeah. we, one of um, the couples that we met, um, Karen Riley is still a dear friend and she's on Facebook and my women who sailed for him. And she's just amazing. And um, her husband just left us this year, but he mm-hmm. was an amazing sailor and just wrote books and just was such an incredible human being. And we've got a lot of those Baja friends that we're still really Mm. close to. And we still, you know, shoot each other, you know, missives, you know, now it's more texts and that sort of thing. But, you know, we're all lucky to have that really incredible um, community. And now that we're in Port Townsend, you know, the the yacht club has led to even more groups of friends. and, And I'm sure there'll be even more of that. You know, and we look forward to having an even larger circle of sailing friends. Awesome. That is great. <sighs> yeah, I'm just trying to think of, I think we covered pretty much everything. I'm sorry for, uh, got you too emotional. Oh, no, I just, you know, you never know. You were talking about yeah. something and all of a sudden, yeah. oh, where'd that come from? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's real, and that's what what we're wanting for sure. Well, let's uh, let's tell people where to go online again um, for information. Yeah. Well, so Jennifer, is there any um, is there anything you would like to before we we close and 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 let people know where to find you? Is there any message you would like to get out to um, people that have read your book, potential readers of your book? Or uh, just anybody that's interested in in your lifestyle? Is there anything you'd like to get across a message? I think, um, you know, I would love to hear from you. 
Um, I'd love to hear from readers of the book and people that have book clubs I would love to chat with. Of course, nowadays you can do it on Zoom, so that's really cool. Um, So if people want to reach out, um, as you said, my website is JennyRedbug.com, and that has my email on it. If people want to contact me, I would love to chat with them and hear what they have to say about the book. And um, as we said, you know, reviews are important. Thank you. Um, And and also my publisher is a a small woman-owned own press who's out there, you know, trying to make this happen. And uh, so you, it's it's nice to think that you're supporting a small business and a small publisher as well. If that if that helps, I'll throw that in does. there too. Well, we're going to throw a graphic up on the podcast so everybody can see it up close. But again, um, the book is Honeymoon at Sea, How I Found Myself Living on a Small Boat, uh, a memoir by Jennifer Silva Redmond. Um, I purchased it. Uh, I purchased it online as a digital book. I'm also going to purchase a hard copy, um, and I will get it from our local uh, small bookstore. Um, we recommend that you, our viewers, do the same thing. Uh, you're supporting Jennifer and uh, and Russell and their life at sea, uh, and they're on on the boat and the 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 woman owned publishing company. It's all a great cause. And uh, if you have any interest in whether it is boating or downsizing or just being married for 35 years <laughs> and, and getting through that, um, we recommend you check out the book and then check out uh, JennyRedbug.com for your blog and for all, all the other work you do too. Yes. And I just thought of something else because, you know, your Port Townsend um, crowd that's listening, I believe the book is for sale at Imprint Bookstore downtown. Okay. And it's also available at Aldridge's upstairs. Great. And cool. it's also available at the Port Townsend Library. There so. you go. And Yay. if it's not available where you want it, please do put in a request to get it ordered. Um, that would support her very much. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We can't thank, thank you. you enough. Thank you guys for asking me. What a treat. This has just been such a, a joyful hour just flown by. Absolutely. Great. It would be fun maybe someday to do a follow-up and have Russell on as well. And we can discuss, uh, you know, from his perspective. And <laughs> he can get, he can talk about what We can get I really thought. into the boat. We can get into the boat, the details on in all the it. steps. But uh, it was a pleasure having you here today. Thanks. Thank you. Take a look around here. Surrounded on a ship of fools. Sail away across the water, set the pace, and discover every ocean, every sea.